שלום. Unlike the mainline churches who keep a strict observance of the church calendar, uh, most free and independent churches like ours, the EFC, uh, most of us do not. And uh, we are left impoverished. So I'm very so thankful that Geylang EFC observed the Christian church calendar quite religiously. I mean, it's okay to have Mother's Day and Father's Day, <laughs> uh, but we must observe the Christian church calendar because it has very, very rich and powerful meaning. And on the special Sunday, as Pastor Vincent has really led us this morning, sharing those very, very uh, vitally important truths about what this day signified for us. And so for that, personally, I'm very thankful for a church uh, that observed the church Christian calendar. It may be easy to start a new diet, but to succeed, I think we will need a lot of encouragement. Why? Because it is tough to stick to it, isn't it? when you crave for that cinnamon roll or that eclair. It may be easy to start a new exercise program, but again, I think you need encouragement to succeed because it is tough to continue when your aching muscles scream, no more! It may be easy to get married, but to succeed, you will need lots of encouragement and support because it is tough to commit to your wedding vows by working through all your problems over a lifetime. And it may be easy to begin a new ministry in church or to start serving in any area of ministry. But to succeed, you also need encouragement because it is tough to carry on when criticism abounds, appreciation is lacking, and worse, your leadership is being challenged. Our scripture text this morning picks up from Numbers chapter 16, where you recall both Moses and Aaron's leadership had been challenged by recent events, by rebellion, as we saw last week. And the Lord's appointed leaders were in desperate need of the Lord's encouragement, and it was not denied. God is good. Because in Numbers chapter 17 and chapter 18 that we come to this morning, God's appointed leadership is going to be affirmed. And not only affirmed, but existed as well. Be provided with all the resources and encouragement that they need to succeed. God is going to show that Aaron's priestly authority, though challenged, that Aaron still retained that authority 
to the exclusion of all other claimants. So first we will look at the affirmation of the high priesthood of Aaron. The affirmation of the high priesthood of Aaron, Numbers chapter 17, verse 1 to verse 13. Numbers chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. Let me read for us, beginning with verse 1, Numbers chapter 17. The budding of Aaron's staff. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's names, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in a tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I'll rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders, gave him twelve staff, one for the leader of each of the ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staff before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. The next day, Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staff from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each man took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, Put back Aaron's staff in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me, so that they will not die. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. Israelite says to Moses, We will die. We are lost. We are all lost. Anyone who ever comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? Now, the background of this chapter is that the people of Israel have challenged the authority of Aaron. And here in Numbers chapter 17, we read of how God had quelled the rebellion of Korah and company that include Detham and Abiram. Even after God had destroyed the rebels against Moses and Aaron, there were still challenges against their authority. There were especially challenges to Aaron's position as high priest. And that's why we have Numbers chapter 17. So God establishes a test. The sprouting staff test. You are told here all the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel to, to submit a rod, submit a staff from their leaders. And Moses was instructed to write the names of each leader and the staff that they were placed before the Ark of the Covenant. And the test was this, that the staff that would sprout, that would bud, would be the one that would indicate the one chosen to be the high priest. 
Now bear in mind again, it wasn't just Aaron's authority. We learned last week that Moses' authority had also been questioned just as much as Aaron. Just a brief recap, you recall in chapter 16, verse 13 and verse 14 especially, the rebellion, the rebellious people led by Korah had accused Moses of abject failure. You are after failure. You led us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. Verse 13. And not only that, they accused Moses of, of rigid authoritarianism. Chapter 16, verse 13 also. You are, act, you are lording it over us. You are acting like a prince. Then they also accused Moses of broken promises. Verse 14, Numbers chapter 16. You haven't brought us yet into the promised land of milk and honey. Where is the promised land? Now we saw last week, to the conclusion of Numbers chapter 16, in verse 47 to verse 48, that Aaron's divinely authenticated priesthood had been attested when, how? His intercessory prayer for the people stopped the plague. And here this morning, Moses was assured that he was God's appointed prophet as well, as chapter 17 begins for us. You see, this is again the mercy of the Lord and how he really, you know, is so good and he encourages people in verse 17, verses 1 and 2. Remember the Lord, here the Lord says, speak to the Moses, speak. Speak to the people. See, despite all the traumatic events, the Lord continued to address his people. They had changed, but God had not. God is always good and faithful. He had devised a way of settling this rebellion against the priests' exclusive responsibilities so that those who were not persuaded by his intervention of, in judgment with the plague killing 14,700 of them, they might now be won by his revelation of mercy. This test of the sprouting stuff. See, the effective way in which Aaron has stood in Numbers chapter 16, verse 48, between the living and the dead, was convincing proof of the validity of his ministry. Can you just picture this? It must have been clear to everyone that one incense-burning censer in the hand of the man of God, Aaron, far excelled Korah's 250 rebellious men. Through the sign of the sprouting, of this budding and blossoming stuff, God was about to give the people further evidence of his divine appointed work. And Israel acknowledged the evidence. Coming back to Moses, before that, 
you know, I suspect that Moses himself may have needed affirming and encouragement from the Lord. Being so attacked, if it were me, I guess we could have easy, I could have easily settled into self-doubt. And, and, and self-doubt is a debilitating experience. And I don't know, but Moses has suspect, undermined by what he had heard from, from their term and, and, and Abiram, he may have wondered if their complaints had died with them. Huh? Were, were those graves, 14,700 of them, any evidence that all their objections, objections against the leadership is now gone forever? You know, sometimes for God's leaders in the church, in any capacity when you serve, and when people oppose you, disagree with you, or say nasty things about you, uh, we can left to wander that way as well. And here we see in verse 1 and verse 2, as Lord spoke to Moses. I believe here the Lord confirmed to Moses that his ministry was just as divinely as tested as that of Aaron's. So the thing to remember here is for the people, they have different roles. Huh? Sinful people desperately needed a compassionate intercessor, Moses. And ignorant people desperately needed a persuasive prophet, Aaron. So when God said, speak to the Israelites, you know, regardless of how you may be facing, how discouraged and down you feel in the Lord coming to you, and when God speaks, you know, this word must have come, I believe, to Moses with such encouraging confirmation as well as with renewed power. That God was still speaking, even to the rebels. Moses speak to them. The rebels who wanted, you know, do not want to hear his voice. And he was speaking through Moses again as an instrument that the people had despised. Now I see here that God's mind concerning the uniqueness of Aaron's priesthood was expressed firstly in Numbers chapter 17 visibly by means of the sprouting staff. And this staff was now to be kept as an indicator of God's choice of Aaron to be the high priest. To be, to be put permanently in the tent of meeting so as to permanently stop the grumbling of the rebellious Israelites. So first is this visibly, visible means of the sprouting stuff. Second, I believe God is going to verbally now, which will bring me to my second point, verbally, first visibly by means of the sprouting stuff, Secondly, verbally through the precise instructions regarding the distinctive official duties, the roles, the responsibilities of the priests and the Levites. This is in Numbers chapter 18, verse 1 to verse 7. So secondly, we have the activities, all right, or the duties and responsibilities of the priests and the Levites. Chapter 18, verse 1 
to verse 7. Reading beginning with verse 1, the Lord said to Aaron, you, your sons, and your father's family are to bear the responsibility for offences against the sanctuary. And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offences against the priesthood. Bring your fellow Levites from the ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and your son minister before the tent of the testimony. They are to be responsible to you and are to perform all the duties of the tent. But they must not go near to the furnishing of a sanctuary or the altar, or both they and you will die. They are to join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting, all the work at the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar, so that wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary must be put to death. Now, you recall last week in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1 to verse 14, that the main issue there in the passage in that destruction disruptive conduct in the rebellion of, of Korah and, and company was the distinction between priests and Levites. So following the visible confirmation of the sprouting stuff in chapter 17, now we have in chapter 18, verse 1 to verse 7, consisting of God's verbal confirmation, repeating the distinction between the, the Levites and the priests. So that there could be no possible misunderstanding concerning their respective and well-defined role. And so that's why God repeats it here. And as long as the people acted in accordance with God's word, they were not in the slightest danger of death, as we read in chapter 17, verse 12 to verse 13. In chapter 18, verse 1, it begins, we read that God's that Aaron's sons and families were charged with what? Bearing the responsibility for offences connected with the sanctuary. And in verse 2 to verse 4, we have the Levite's responsibility being outlined for us. And then verse 5 to verse 7, the responsibilities of the priest accordingly. And we're told here that only Aaron and his family could minister with the holy articles of the sanctuary of God. Now you see here the Levites were assigned to assist Aaron and his sons. Verse 2 to verse 3. They are restricted and accountable role, though it's you know, you know, like you know, just you know, had to ass just an assistant role. Uh, was at the same time a privileged one. Make no mistake about that. Verse 6 says the Levites were the gifts to the priest from the Lord. See, the Lord knew that the priests would need reliable helpers to help out with the work at the tent of meeting. With the work of the tabernacle, such as dismantling, transporting, erecting the tabernacle, and also to protect the tabernacle from intruders. 
Right? Such a supportive role was what Korah and his friends had problems with. And that's why they rebelled. Yet, now listen to me, my brothers and sisters. Yet, the willingness to submit to others, to submit especially to those set in authority over us, is an essential part of spiritual leadership. Okay, the willingness to submit and to do what seemingly may be, you know, a, a, a simple and, you know, uh, behind-the-scene task uh, is all an essential part of spiritual leadership. It minimizes the possibility of domineering dictatorship. And to achieve or cultivate such submissiveness in Christian service, it can only be realized when you and I look to Jesus as our primary model. But suffice for me to say this this morning, I've learned throughout my years of ministry, and the sooner we learn this, the better it will be for us. That ministry in the church in any form is a submissive activity. Okay, especially for those of us who have got the privilege to be up here on the platform all the time. To remember that ministry in any form is a submissive activity. Make no mistake about that. It is not an opportunity for arrogant self-display. Okay, so when we come up here, especially on the platform, we do not perform. I think that's something that we have to bear in mind. Servitude is God's gift to the church. And God here said, reminded in verse 6 very clearly, these Levites are appointing for you. They are a gift from me. And the Apostle Paul took this idea up concerning the church's servant as God's loving gift as the model for Christian ministry. You recall writing in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that grace from God, grace has been given to us all in a right range of variously gifted and uniquely equipped servants with whom he enriches the life of his people. Servitude is God's gift to the church. In verses 5 to 7, the priests were also reminded of their exclusive obligations. And Aaron knew only too well, isn't it? That earlier, Pastor Vincent reminded us of that, that last week already. Earlier, two of his sons had grieved God by offering what? An authorized fire. Contrary to his command. This is recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 10. Moreover, at a later stage in their history, other priests were to fail God by their inconsistent lifestyle or by the rejection of his word. So these repeated regulations were necessary. All right? God spells out his demands. He delineated for them very clearly who they are and what they are supposed to do. And like the supportive role of the Levites, notice in verse 7, the priesthood was also a gift from God. And that balances out the, so to speak, supporting the role of these Levites, those of us who are appointed priests. Remember, it is God's gift to the church. Okay? It doesn't mean that you are better than those who are serving at the level of big Levites. 
that they had a clearly defined role all right, in defending the tabernacle from willful, irreverent rebels who, like Korah, Dotham, and Abiram, might be indifferent to God's word. And so God here spells out clearly all right, the activities, the roles, and the responsibility that God has appointed for these Levites and the priests. And in return for their service to the Lord, the priests and the Levites would be adequately provided for. And so thirdly and finally, we have the allotment for the priests and the Levites. Numbers chapter 18, <coughs> verse 8 to verse 32. The allotment for the priests and the Levites. You see, the, the priests and the Levites, <coughs> these are people who are serving the, serving the Lord in the full-time capacity in the tabernacle. They will not be able to serve with that single-minded devotion that the work demanded if they were, you know, on a daily basis had to trouble themselves with life's material necessity, how to bring food on the table uh, for the family. So this is the same for full-time workers in the church, the pastors and ministry staffs who have given up their career to serve the Lord in a full-time capacity. And this is the Lord's wonderful provision. Okay, so we read here in verse 8 to verse 20, the initial set of rules describe how the priests were to be provided for and supported, what were their allotments were. And then outlining, continuing in 21 to 32, same thing, the prescribed maintenance for the Levites, how they were to be provided for. Now this is a lengthy passage, I will not read it, but will point out for us as as we see here, I believe this lengthy passage suggests some very important guidelines regarding our financial stewardship, regarding the support and our responsibility, financial responsibility especially, uh, towards the Lord's servants. All right, those who have given up their career, have called, heard the call of God and are serving the Lord now in the church in a full-time capacity. It, it focuses on a number of aspects of their support and our giving. So I'd like to just uh, very Briefly shared just four of these principles uh, with us this morning in terms of our support of our, the Lord's servants. Uh, first of all, the aim. The aim, the purpose. You see, the primary intention in giving was not to provide meals for the priesthood. The primary purpose was to please the Lord. Look at verse 17. The last phrase that once again we have the concluding phrase in verse 17, a phrase that we have come across earlier already in our study of the book of Numbers, is an aroma, it's supposed to be an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Our giving is supposed to be an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In other words, the only exception of the burnt offering. All right, the, sac the, the greater part of those sacrificial animals and all the cereal offerings were to meet the physical needs of the priests and their families. The Lord wanted His people to know that He derived great pleasure from the assurance that His servants were provided with all of life's necessity. That's true, but the primary aim of Christian giving is not to support the workers of the Lord, but to glorify the Lord of the workers. So we need to bear this in mind, even in our own Christian giving. 
the aim, the purpose in giving. So remember, primarily giving, our giving is to please the Lord. Yes, according to verse 8, the priests and the Levites were to have a personal share in the gifts that the people make to the Lord himself. Verse 8 says, All the holy offerings the Israelite gave me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. But we need to bear this in mind that when we provide for the support and the maintenance of the Lord's servant, we are giving directly to the Lord. And conversely, conversely, if we withheld that support, I say to you this morning that it is tantamount to robbing God. If we do not give and do our share, it's tantamount to robbing God. Yes, it is that serious. Actually, it's not I who said it. I say, I say to you, it's not I who said it. Who said that? The courageous prophet Malachi when he told the materialistic Israelites in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a, mere mortal, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? How? Malachi says, in our tithes and our offerings. So remember, the primary purpose in our giving and the support of our full-time staff, those who serve the Lord, the primary aim in our giving is to give to the Lord. Next, I see here, it says something about our attitude, how we give. The people here were required to give their best, nothing less. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says they were to give all the finest olives and all the finest new wine and grain to the Lord for the maintenance of the Lord's servant. Moreover, these servants would not only receive the best, they are also required to give the best also. The Levites, like the priests, were to be supported by the people's tithe, verse 24. And they in turn will give to the Lord a tenth of all that they receive. So for example, if they receive a tithe of a farmer's olives, they must select from those olives, as verse 29 says, the best and the holiest part of everything given to them and present them as their own tithe. So as Christians, as people of God, we are commanded in the support of the Lord's workers in our giving. All of you who are in full-time ministry, pastors, Christian workers, we are all required to tithe as well. This is what the priests and the Levites were commanded to do here. All the servants of the Lord are not exempted from tithing. I firmly believe in tithing, even for a pastor, I tithe. What I don't believe is don't believe in is that I need to pay income tax. Oh, this is serious. Don't laugh. I'm so convicted of this that many years ago, I wrote to IRAS. I wrote to them telling why, as a pastor, I don't have to pay income tax. 
Firstly, I said, because the people, the money that we get from us, what I'm paid, comes from my people who already pay income tax on their income. All right? You declare income tax, you don't minus your tithe, right? <laughs> you already paid. So the tithe that comes to the church has already been taxed. Secondly, the church do not generate income or profit out of the money that we take. We do not. What we get, we dispense. All right? Only that it is for the good of the community and, and for needs that we see, that's how we use the money. Actually, there was a third reason, like always my three-point sermon, but I, I can't remember the third reason I wrote to, to, to Aros. But you know what they told me in their reply? Standard bureaucratic letter. In section, what, 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 I can't remember now. So long as you're receiving a salary, you're required to pay income tax. So I still do, do but as an obedient citizen, of course, I still have to pay my income tax. <laughs> okay, come back on giving our best to the Lord. Again, the courageous prophet Malachi was also at the same time a compassionate prophet. You know, when he was grieved that his people were giving to God what? Substandard animals that they themselves would not even dream of giving to their earthly bosses. And that makes me wonder if the Lord may sometimes be disappointed with our giving when we spend more on our possessions, when we spend more on our pleasures than we would dream of giving to His work and His ministry and His servants. Think about it. The principle I derive from here in the honest giving is the amount. That's what we'll be waiting for, right? <laughs> Always the amount. How much might be worthy of a gift to the Lord? And here the Lord gave a basic principle for the allocation of their money and possessions. Still here the idea of giving one tent as a general guide. One tent. The priests and their families will be supported by their share of the sacrificial food and oil and grain and wine that they'll be offered at the sanctuary. And the support would come through the tithing system, verse 21 and verse 24, by which every Israelite offered back to God a tenth of what the Lord had given to him. And that very hurt me already today. I believe tithing is still today a useful guide for Christians to give and to testify that the Lord has ensured that our remaining 90% will always go far enough to meet our personal needs and that of our family. Fourthly and finally, fourth principle I see here on giving is, is assortment. Not just the aim, not just our attitude, not just how much, the amount, but also its various forms, its assortment, the support that came from a wide range of offerings here we read. We read that, that the priests and the Levites receive portions uh, for example, nine, verse 9 to verse 11 of regular sacrifices. Uh, verse 12 to verse 13, the first fruits of the cereal offering. Uh, verse 14, a share of the items especially devoted to the Lord after the capture of enemy city. And then the firstborn animals, verse 15. And then the redemption money paid in lieu of the firstborn male child in every household, verse 15 to verse 16. 
So you see here, white variety of gifts. They are not all identical. All right? Just a reminder here that in our support of the Lord's servant, we can offer more than our time. There are just so many other ways okay, we can give to the Lord's servant to encourage them. So I'll suggest for this morning, in addition to financial provision, we can bring and offer to our full-time workers, our pastors, ministry staff, the gift of our prayers, the gift of intercession. We can offer practical helps to, to just show care, not just for the, the, the staff, the, the pastor or the ministry staff, largely male, or here, of course we have Karen, uh, but that, I'm about to, add, to say is that to care for the family as well, to care for the wife and the children. I find this oftentimes that they have been neglected. You know, the, I also encourage this is a few years ago, uh, in one of my trips that Pat and I make to uh, Kunming, uh, when we were going to do marriage enrichment weekend and family ministry uh, with the sons in Kunming. Uh, and uh, so uh, a brother in the church uh, gave us a gift to us, the expenses of the gift. And not only that, you know what he did? He gave a special gift to Pat for her own personal expenses. Wow, I thought that I never had anybody done that to us before. But she has a gift for Pat, for her to buy whatever she wants to buy in Kuming. Just as a reminder here, so it can be the gifts and our help can come in so many various forms. Uh, and writing a letter of encouragement, um, asking the church leaders how uh, can I serve in the church? Is there anything that I can do? You know, so what a difference it will make uh, to our leaders' lives and ministry you know, if they were uh, being supported in all these various assortments in different ways uh, in which we can show our love and concern. So God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron, were discouraged, I believe. Anyone would, I will. And God encouraged his appointed leaders by affirming them and by assisting them with all their needs. See, there's nothing like an encouraging word from God the Father when we are feeling low and discouraged. Sometimes lives can be daunting, especially even for those who serve. We can be misunderstood, there will be criticism. But rest assured that God the Father just knows just what to say to us when we need to hear it most. And so my friends, if you are feeling discouraged today, I pray that the Lord will speak courage to your weary heart and strengthen your weary bones to keep running the race that is set before you. Yeah. Well-known British preacher and Bible expositor Campbell Morgan asked the question, how are we to obey God in the midst of our trials? I mean, how can we take courage when we feel fearful and feel so discouraged? He said that the only way is to get a clear vision of the Lord himself. The only way is to get a clear vision of the Lord himself. Be thou my vision. It is to see Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured such hostility of sinners against himself. Campbell Morgan go on to observe that all our fears and all our panic result from a dim vision of the Lord, a dim consciousness 
of Christ. Be thou my vision. He says there is no refuge for the soul of man other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my friends this morning, if you are discouraged about your present difficult circumstances, or you're feeling down about past mistakes that we have made, or anxious about the future, the Lord wants you to take courage. And I speak especially to those of you who are leaders. All right? I know leadership is a very lonely uh, situation. All right? That God is with you in your difficulties, in your challenges. He commends you for your past service. And He promises to use you again in this service as you continue to walk faithfully with Him. And as you seek encouragement from the Lord, and as He does so and give it to you, you, I encourage you to also seek to be a channel of blessing to others. Okay, I came across this quotation. Someone said, good words are worth much and cost little. Now, good words, words of encouragement. They always saying something nice to people, saying something to just lift up somebody's morale, you know, and make somebody glad. Uh, they are worth very much and they usually be very much appreciated and it costs very little. All right? So let, us, let me encourage us to just do that. You know? And when we do that, then we are acting like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my friends, when have you been most encouraged? And how can you best offer encouragement to someone who is feeling down today? I want to encourage you to be an encourager, especially to God's appointed leaders. Believe me. Leadership is a very lonely proposition. Let us pray. My brothers and sisters in Christ, your pastors, the church staff, the church board members, they are human, just like you and I and may require our patience and our encouragement as they grow through some things. So this morning I thought I want to help you understand that they grieve, that their hearts get weary, and they are sometimes wrong. But truth is, God has chosen to graciously work through our leaders as humans. He has not chosen the angels or some special emissaries to do his job. So when as church members we rest in the Lord's design that way, instead of demanding from our leaders something that even God himself might not demand, we actually end up experiencing more fulfillment and blessing. Okay? Otherwise, we become a burden to our leaders, and then the Bible says, this is of no benefit to you. So how do we tangibly help our leaders in their calling? We see very clearly this morning, your leaders need encouragement to bloom. So pray for encouragement over them to walk in the fullness of their calling. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes now to do just that. Don't you take just this brief moment now to pray a prayer of blessing and encouragement for all your church leaders.
And finally, before I close in prayer, pray for yourself. Pray for our church to be a joy to our church leadership. You know, in my years of in the pastorate, and I pastored four ch- different churches. All leadership teams I've known were exceptionally encouraged, and when they felt the joy of serving. You know, who knows what a little extra joy might do in our church here in Geylang EFC. So again, I just give you a couple of minutes right now to just take time to pray for yourself and for our church to be a joy instead of a burden to our church leadership. Let us do that. Let us take a few brief moments before I close in prayer. Almighty God, our gracious Assembly, Father, I pray that you will send a spirit of encouragement to all our pastors, all our church staff, all our church board members, so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called, and that, Lord, you will lead them to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for those around them in love, and that they will be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Father, I pray that you help us all as members of this church to constantly pray for and provide for the needs of our appointed leaders. In Jesus' name we pray. And let the people of God say, Amen. Amen.